Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Lou, I'm going to start you off with this question. Bottom of the Western Conference playoff picture, who do you think wants it? On a nightly I basis, think, I'm confused, Lou. I know Dallas wants it, and okay. I don't think they're even in jeopardy anymore. Dallas and St. Louis, as far as I'm concerned, are in. I'd be very surprised if Dallas fell off, especially now that they got their goaltender, Bishop, came back from an injury because uh, Kondobin actually blew one game for them they could have won. And uh, I, at least one position open. And, and Arizona is doing what I thought they might do, Judd, because they had been on such a hot streak. They won like 9 of 11 games or something. Mm-hmm. And to expect them to continue to be at a winning pace, you know, it's almost not just a lot of averages, but are they a good enough team to continue at a pace like that? And I didn't think they would be, so I thought they'd slide back. And they have lost two in a row that doesn't surprise me. So I was really worried about uh, Colorado and uh, and thinking that the Wild, uh, you know, was going to win at least one or two of those games against easier teams at home. Yep. So now I'm a little concerned, but uh, I still feel the Wild, even though they're going against tough teams, they played well against tough teams, and can they continue this? They're, they're in they're in a good position if they play as hard as they've been playing and. and uh, you know, some pucks start going in because Colorado still looks like they got some problems, although I worry about them because they've been on such a losing streak compared to Arizona's winning streak that I think that they're gonna they can start getting hot again. They're a weird team too, because uh I, I was watching was it a week ago or so, they're playing the ducks at home, they go up two zip and, and the ducks are done, right? Yeah. The ducks right. come back and beat them, but then I went to the game a couple nights ago at the X where they beat the Wild, and this is a fast team. I, I I'm not saying defensively they're great because they're not, but they're a fast team. They're they are not a bad team. They're just a weird team, I think. Well, what scared me in that game the most was Grubauer played so good. Their goaltender oh. started playing really good. So if you get a goaltender gets hot, doesn't matter if fast, slow, or indifferent, he can steal games, and that's and that's what worries because they are a fast team, very fast team, and are they're offensively they got some real good skilled players. We all know they're as good as anybody in the league. So that's a team that scared me right now more than Colorado, even though Colorado's in the driver's seat, because I'm just thinking that Colorado's going to come back more to a norm of of their play than what they've been playing at, and that would allow both the Wild and, and Colorado to pass them. Do you think Chicago's dead? No, I don't think Chicago's dead either. I just I agree. They're not. Just, yeah. There's so many teams in there that, that <laughs> are, you know, that's that's why we always say it's so tough to make a five points from the, I always say, from the middle of February or middle of March on because there's so many teams you got, you know, that are back and forth that are, 
are winning that when you think you're gaining ground, you're not really gaining much ground. Maybe a point yep. in two weeks or something. So, uh, and and it's just there's so many teams. I think Chicago might might be out of it, but they played so well. They, they, they you know, and they got the, the two guys who can carry anybody with with uh, Kane and Taves. And when Crawford's playing well, that's a game changer too. Yeah, yeah, and he would. He came back, played well. He got hurt again, and he's back in again. So they're a little bit of an unknown, but they are definitely capable of being there too. So you're talking about three teams for one spot, and that's Arizona, the Wild, Colorado, and the Blackhawks. So mm-hmm. it's 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 in the Wild's hands. They do have a tough schedule, but that's where they played the best. So it's in their hands to be there because. If they play the way they've been playing in the last 10 days, uh, they, they certainly could be there. So as we do this podcast, Lou, it's the, the wild card in the Western Conference. Dallas with 82 points is in seventh place. The eighth place team right now technically is Colorado with 33 wins and 78 points. Arizona's next with the same amount of points as Colorado, but 30, um, 36 wins. But they're technically behind them. And then the Wild at, at 77. The Wild plays in Washington tonight. They've got eight games left, and every one of those games is against a team currently in the in a playoff spot. So give me, uh, right now, what, what concerns you most about this team and what gives you the most confidence that they can make a final push here and get that eighth spot. What concerns me the most is their ability to score goals. They've, they just seem to hit a drought recently, and, and I'm hopeful that that doesn't continue. And uh, what gives me hope that they can make it is they've been playing so hard and so well and getting a lot of chances that I don't think they're going to be kept off the scoreboard like they've been kept off the scoreboard that long. Plus, Dubnik's played better recently, and, and definitely that's the key. So those are the two things that I I really feel that uh, Wild got going for them. Yeah, because the so so the game that the, the Wild lost now it would be a week ago Thursday to Dallas at the X was an awful game, and I thought that performance w- was terrible. But then they came back two nights after that and played the Rangers and played incredibly well. The I- Islanders are a really well coached, structured, good team. Uh, beat the Wild in OT on on Sunday, but I thought that the Wild played well, and then they came back and lost the last game to Colorado. But again, I didn't think they played a terrible game. So I guess the turning point here is there have been some games where we watch them and say, what are they doing? But at least the last three or so, it's not a question of effort. It's a question of probably execution, as you just said, goal scoring. Yeah, that, that's why I, I feel they got a chance because they're playing well, and I don't think that that drought of goal scoring is going to continue. I hope it doesn't, but you do have capable goal scorers up front. I, I'd like to see uh, Fiella, who got two in, against Nashville, and and he's you know he shows such great speed and good things with his hands and pucks. I, I'd like to see some of his start to go in. Donato's been a terrific asset, oh. you know. Isn't he fun, Lou? Continually. And JP, I mean JP Zach has uh, yep. continued to score, and and you know you you just think that there there's more there from the other guys too. Plus, the, you know, defense. You Spurgeon's continued his outstanding play; he's been fantastic, and and you're always going to seemingly get some points from Suter, whether it's a power play or or not, but. Uh, you know, I, I just think that they got a chance to do it because the, the scoring capability is there and it shouldn't be kept off the board as long as it's being kept off the board. And, you know, Stahl and Zucker, 
you know, they're working hard. They should get some stuff. I mean, they they got the firepower up front. They just got to, you know, now, you know, make it come true. I've got a, a Zucker question for you, Lou. Why do you think he, because he certainly creates chances and gets a ton of chances. Why do you think he struggles so many times to hit the net? Well, I, you know, sometimes you, you when you're pressing, you try and really be precise and pick corners uh, a little more precise, and you, you're, you're just not, you're just not as relaxed, maybe shooting the puck as, as you are in, in normally. But I don't worry about him too much. I, as long as he's getting the shots, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just. I feel he's such a good goal scorer, and and he went on a great run again here just recently. That the pucks will go in for him. He, he's a guy that you can count on. He's going to put pucks in the net, and even when he's struggling to put uh, goals on the board, if he's getting chances, you know it's going to come because he's capable of putting the puck in the net. And sometimes you're missing. You're missing just by inches in the corner, and it looks like it's so it's wide. Yeah, but it's not wide by much. You know, he's not off that far. Mm-hmm. And hopefully they start going in for him. I think I have found the the perfect player. When you talk about guys and guys, you know, in this day and age, don't shoot enough, etc. Ryan Donato to me is a player that you must love because this kid has one a great shot, two a quick shot, and three he will shoot the puck from anywhere. I love this kid. So do I. I mean, that's uh, that's why I tell my grandson Vinny Letary. He's with the Rangers. I said I don't care where it is. I said, I remember Bossy used to have his back to the net, get the puck, and he just turn wheel and shoot at the net. Yes. And Esposito was the same way. Cicerelli was the same way. Mm-hmm. And I, those goal scorers shoot the puck, and I love Donato doing that. He does that, you know, all the time. And well, remember the game he won in overtime. I mean, that was more of a surprise than a goaltender. It was a shot the goalie should have had, but, but Donato shot it from a place you wouldn't think he was going to shoot it from and goes in the net. And that's why, in my mind, it's never wrong to shoot the puck on the net. Okay, so you you just brought up uh, something that in Sunday's game against the Islanders completely baffled me. Uh, Spurgeon was having, and and he's a great player, but he was having a fantastic game. Donato's speed and shot, I think, are fantastic. And for the three-on-three OT, Louie, they started Stahl, Parisi, and and in Parisi's defense, he was having a good game, so I have no qualm with that one, and Suter. How do you not get Donato and Spurgeon on on the ice to start that that three-on-three OT, do you think? Well, I think, I'm not sure, like I can't get in his head, but I think Boudreaux was probably matching in a situation like that, and and he was probably going to come back with with Donato and Spurgeon, and and maybe that's why he didn't. I, you know, I, I personally, on a big ice sheet, I love speed, and I love puck handling ability, so yep. I, I go the different way, but maybe... And maybe that's the reason why he did it. He's he's, he's matching. He, he's basically going to cut their their top offense down right away, and come back with his. And maybe that's huh. why he did it. I think you're probably right. Now here, here's the thing that, that confuses me though: is matchups in that. And I get I get the ordinary inclination uh, to attempt matchups, but is matchups in that format? A great idea because I, I would think that if I've got three guys who can just skate like the wind and Donato who's going to shoot, and it's such a it's a short session and you're trying to score obviously as quick as possible, that matchups in that format aren't necessarily as good of idea as they would be, let's say, in the second period of a five on five. 
Well, it, it all depends. If, if if your defensive players are better than their defensive players, the matchups are going to be good because then you, you're, you're going to not give them any opportunities and you're going to get the opportunities. What concerns me more than the speed and the matchup, and it always has, is the line change. And oh. if you go back every time yes. Yes. we had scored, it's the line change. They stay out too long. One, two, or three <laughs> of those guys are out in the ice too long. Yes. And they get caught, and, they, and then, uh, you know, Suter, I, I think, is a fantastic hockey player. To me, his biggest weakness is the 3-3. Three and three. He stays out too long. Always. Amen. And that's where you get caught. I, and that's I, yes. what, to me, that's where I think he's got to be aware of. The guys, he does so many good things. I love what he does and all that. But the thing that I worry the most about is 3-3, three and three, getting out too long, getting caught. You're not only the quickest defenseman. You're not now. You're tired, and you're usually against fast people at that time. Amen, Louie. And I, I honestly think if it, if it was my team, three on three, there wouldn't be there wouldn't be a game where when we went to that format, I wouldn't start Spurgeon. Spurgeon's a marvelous player. I mean, he well, was I God. God, I mean, like, I God put him I, here I, for I that can't format. Argue that, John. I can't. Uh, but but I mean, God put know. him here for three on three. Like he's yeah, a great I, player, but beyond that, three on three, that guy's speed. He's got a shot. He's got yeah. everything. Yeah, I, I mean, like I can't argue about that. I mean, the, you know, you you got you got a couple of great skaters back there. Another one's Brodeen, of course, and and so he, he, you got to be able to skate when you got that much ice. You got to be able to skate and move the puck, and uh, and just don't get tired and don't get caught on a bad line change. Yeah. And I mean, as we know. The Islanders, when they when they did score, they benefited from a line change that they should have got too many men on the ice, <laughs> and and yeah. uh, I'm, I'm sure Bruce is livid about that. But at the same time, uh, you know, and our guys had completely changed. Now, what that what what the Wild was upset about in that game on Sunday too? I I swear, Louis, I read something about this a, a couple weeks back as well. That this has become a problem now in three on three with guys jumping quit too quickly. Is that correct? Are, are teams concerned about this across the board? They should be, and then they, you know, we always say that the referees should call penalties in overtime, like they drew during the game, and and, and then then you know the standard what it is. It's not going to change. And we always say often that well they don't they don't call them in overtime like they do. Well, if there's one thing I think that they're different at mm-hmm. is calling too many men on the ice in the overtime. I think the changes get a little too blatant that uh, there are guys on the ice far too quickly, and it definitely was against the Islanders, and that broke up the the play, and the, and the Islanders end up scoring. Yeah, because if you go back and watch that, I believe Clutterbuck's at the top of the circle by the bench, yeah. and Barzell, yeah. Barzell, who's a great player, but Barzell is jumping over the boards as Clutterbuck is still essentially in that circle. Yeah, and Barzell on top of it is fast and their best defensive player, and it's a hell of a trade. He's not too many men. Yeah. Uh, so give me your theory on this. The Wild on, on the road this year is nineteen fifteen and two, which is fine. The Wild at home, a team that traditionally, even when they haven't been a great team, is so strong at home, is 15, 16, and 7. Any theory on what's happened to this team at the X? No, I, I, especially since they've been so good at home for so long. Yeah. And, and what has made the difference? I mean, obviously, they, you know, they, 
they played better on the road, and whether they they're playing in, in the mode of let's we don't have to worry about make, putting on a show, just play hard, do, do the right things, which might be boring, and and you don't uh, you don't do the same things at home. Sometimes the crowd's urging you on, you're they're cheering you, and you're 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 getting that a little, maybe a little away from your game by being more offensive and. And by being less defensive, the opposition's getting the opportunities. I don't know, but it, it's uh, inexplicable when you when you look at their track record, their history, their ability to play, you know, at at home so well for so long, and all of a sudden be below 500, and especially not only being below 500, you know, it's the teams that they lost to at home many times were not. The great teams in the league. They were they were teams all fighting to make the playoffs or out of a playoff spot. That's mm-hmm. what's the most perplexing of all. The one thing, Lou, and this goes back to the North Star days as well, the one thing that drives me crazy, and it drives me more crazy now than then because I think it's more true, and this happened in Sunday's game, the Islanders are blocking shots left and right. And they are incredibly disciplined, right? And they and lane wise, they take shooting lanes away consistently. And the Wilds on a power play, and everyone in that building is screaming, "Shoot, shoot, shoot!" And I'm saying to myself, "If this guy shoots right now, you, you know where that puck's going to go? Right into the Islanders guy." Yeah, <laughs> but that's for right. years, but fans' inclination is to always just yell, "Shoot!" And and I'm all for shooting. Uh, as we've talked about, but like on a power play or something, you have to at least get a shooting lane. And and in this case, the Islanders were magnificent at taking those away throughout that game. Well, you're right, but uh, one of the things that nobody talks about when they talk about shooting is the movement of the puck. Mm-hmm. And the reason why lanes are closed is because you're taking your your too deliberate moving the puck around the perimeter and and trying to get a shot, but you, you almost can see the player standing and looking and making a pass, standing and looking and making a pass. The way to break those lanes up is by moving the puck quickly because people can't move as quick as the puck. Sure. And so if you're moving the puck quickly, then but of course you, everybody's got to you know you practice and you be aware. And you guys usually, your guys on the off on the sides, on the half wall, are good shooters, like on a Vetchkin. What's his strength? He gets rid of the puck quickly. So if you move the puck quickly enough, and the guy shoot off the pass, he can't be blocking the lanes. But it's the movement of the puck that is so slow that giving people time to adjust to block the lanes that you got no shot. So, and that's what they got to do better: is move the puck quicker and right. shoot it off the pass before. The, the lanes are jammed. Okay, so when when you you watch their power play, is there is there one or two guys who you especially would like to see move the puck quicker? No, all of them, all five. I think the puck is too deliberate. Okay, the movement of the puck has been too deliberate, too slow. And actually, when you move it slow, guys are going to adjust. The defensive team's adjusting and cutting off your your shooting lane and your passing angle. And and so why does Washington? Why are they successful? Yeah. Watch how fast they move the puck around the side. You know it's going to Ovechkin. Everybody in the building knows it's going to Ovechkin. <laughs> yeah. But it gets to Ovechkin before the guy can adjust to go block it because he's not going to eat. That's where I would be different if I was killing the penalty in, against Washington. I don't care. I'd let the, even though usually it's, you know, it's a 5% less advantage of 4 and 3 or better advantage for the offensive team 4 and 3 and 5 and 4. Mm-hmm. I'd put the guy over on a Vetchkin and play five on three. I, 
the five percent that I lose that time to me is much better than having Ovechkin having an opportunity to shoot the puck. Box and one, basically from basketball. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, which which brings me to this question then, and I believe they did this for part of the game on Sunday or Saturday. I don't recall which one. Why on earth wouldn't you put Donato on the first power play? Well, I can't answer that because <laughs> I'm making those decisions. Like you know, he can you make a phone call and strongly suggest yeah. it? You've got a lot of pull in this community. No, no, I don't get involved in any of that stuff. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I, I, you know, they they have they have set groups, you know, in the first and second power play, and sometimes, and I'm not sure if it's happened, if that's the reason why. You got to remember who was just on the ice when the, when the penalty was called. Is the team tired? Are those guys tired? Are they fresh? You you, you want to get your best power play unit out, but at the same time you want to make sure that they're they're rested. Sure. You don't want a tired group out. So I don't know whether you know the the just went off the ice or not, or hadn't had as much rest as the other group. But uh, I, you know I'm sure that that's something that they discuss and talk about because I. I think the coaching staff does a hell of a good job there. Yeah, they they had him on. So I, I want to say it was Sunday's game. He wasn't on the first power play to start the game. And then in one of those two games against the Rangers or Islanders, they put him on the first power play. And I believe they scored two goals. And then in the uh, the last game against the Avs, he was back on the second. So it's just that his his abilities and, to your point, his shot and ability to move the puck is just so good. So, Well, uh, you know, don't you, 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 you can't forget that I think they might have Fiala on the first power play. And Fiala is really good with the puck, and he's, he really can shoot it. He hasn't been shooting it enough, but uh, uh, he's very dangerous too. So maybe they, I think those two guys are spread out in two different power plays, and so you can understand why why you got it. I mean, Fiala, if you were to ask, well, Fenton for sure, and, and maybe the coaching staff, and say who's going to be the better goal scorer, Fiala or Donato, I'm yep. sure they pick Fiala. I've got a Fiala theory for for you, sir, I, because I like him, and I think he's going to be just fine, and I think he's going to be good. Uh, my theory is this. I don't think he's comfortable on his off wing. Yeah, well, Because they've got him playing there, and I think it's – I think that – I think that – he doesn't look completely comfortable yet, and I think that's well, part of it maybe. Well, I, I don't know what his history is. I, I, uh, Fenton does, and he's had, had him for so long, and Dean Evenson especially coached him, so – uh, they might be aware of that. I I don't know. Maybe he's had a history of playing the offside because when he was in Milwaukee and then Nashville. But if he's not, then I'd get him over where he is because he potentially, uh, you know, if you said to Paul Fenton, what do you think he can score in the league? He'll tell you 35 goals. Mm-hmm. Well, if you've got that kind of capability, you want to make sure he's, he's playing where he should be playing because uh, there are not a lot of guys that have capability of scoring 35 goals in the league. Uh, Calgary is at the top of the Western Conference as we record this, Lou, with 99 points. Do you feel, though, that, that they are, in, in the playoffs, susceptible um, to being surprised because of their goaltending? I certainly do. Yeah, me too. I mean, once the playoffs start, you know that goaltending is the most, well, it's always the most important thing. But goaltending uh, is even a bigger thing. I, I've never seen anybody win a Stanley Cup with bad goaltending. And... Uh, when you get, how many times can we go back from the North Stars onto the Wild? How many series can we remember that were won or lost by good goaltending by either the, our team or the other team? 
and and there's so many series, and especially in that first round, I've seen so many good teams go out because the other team's goaltending was better. Mm-hmm. And so I think Calgary faces that dilemma. Yeah, and Smith is just, he seems to me to be a wild card. He comes out and plays the puck at times, and it's just a a, a disaster. There's just, there's something about them, and, and I'm not saying that they're going to lose to the eighth seed, which obviously could be the wild. It's just, I watch them play, and, and I like them, and Goudreau's a, Goudreau's a fantastic player, but the goaltending there just strikes me as something that could be a problem. Well, you're not even sure if Smith's going to be the one playing, because Riddick yeah. lately has played better, and so he, he might I'd play be him, and, yeah. And you're yet right. his, his uh, record is better, I, I believe, at, on the road than it is at home, so they've really got a quandary. they they got to get that thing settled. If they had good goaltending, they're a threat to win the cup anyway. But if they had, if they had even a bishop that Dallas has got right now, the way he he's capable of playing, they you got to worry about that team. You got to worry big time about that team because they've got great balance up front. The defense is defense is probably in the top five in the league, and it's it's almost uh, you know it's almost unspoken about. And they talk about they talk about Norris Trophy winners all the time, and I guess the best line I've ever heard was, uh, "The players just picked the top five defensemen in the league, and Giordano wasn't on it." And one of the writers, I think it was Kenny Campbell from the Hockey News in Toronto, says, "I guess they don't play against Calgary." <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's a fantastic player. He's fantastic, but he, yes. he's unheralded for oh, yeah. how good he is. Well, they're they're buried and there, right? And their whole defense is, and that's why I'm saying there's they're, no, they're right. such a danger. But but they're buried there. I I mean, I, I know that they're paid attention to in Canada, but I think in the States here, what, their games start at 8.30 or so? I, I think yeah. they're just sort of forgotten about completely. No, but they, the players not to recognize. I mean, it's just like anything else. When you go pick all-star teams, it's like when you had the state tournament and they're talking about picking teams from all these eras. What do people do? Because they, they don't see them. They don't watch them. They go to statistics, and they'll just pick points. Right. When when there's so many other things involved, and, and, and Giordano's been so good for so long that uh, you would think that he'd get more, more notoriety, especially from the players. But the way is like when Suter was second in in the Norris Trophy. Mm-hmm. If if you look at it, the only reason why Subban beat him out is because Subban's in Montreal and all the press in the East, and and he got beat out. There's no way in the world Subban played as good as, as, as Suter that year. But a lot of times those guys just go by statistics. Subban had great statistics as far as offensive statistics, getting goals and that. But there's but as far as the Nor- Norris Trophy winner. Suter was unbelievable that year. Yes, he was unreal, and that's why the Wild had so much success. And the guy was mind-boggling, and you know I think you got the same case right now with Giordano and Calgary. In the Western Conference, what team uh, strikes you right now as having the ability to surprise in the playoffs? Is there one that's starting to emerge from you know three from from let's say the third place teams in the divisions to the uh, Wild Card team? Vegas. Teams. Yeah. I think Vegas is quietly becoming a team, a better team than they were last year. Mm. More difficult to beat than they were last year. They got a player. I talked to George McPhee, and uh, I forget what he said. They got 80,000 data points a game or 8,000 data points a game they go through. And when they did when they did an analyzation of all the players in the league, there's like six players that really make a difference at this one level. And one of those six is Mark Stone. 
and they were able to add him. That's why they paid him so much money. That's why they did it. And if you look at since they've added Stone, they had lost like four or five in a row. They were they were just in a terrible slump. I think since they've added Sloan, they probably have won ten of twelve or eleven of thirteen. Uh, right now, too, they're on a four-game win streak, and they are nine one and zero in their last ten. There it goes. So yeah. they've been fantastic. Something like that. Yep. Yep. And I think everybody's paying attention to everybody else, and watch out for Vegas. Okay. Last thing for you. I saved this for last, and you can't be fine now. So explain to me how on God's green earth the officials in that uh, Big Ten tournament game between the Gophers and Notre Dame called a penalty in overtime on what was basically a stick lift, as far as I could tell. Stick lift and center ice. Well, I I can't tell you because when I'm watching the game, I thought, geez, did somebody go offside? I, I, I don't know what the whistle was blowing for. Mm-hmm. And then I said, well, there must be too many men in the ice because we couldn't see the whole screen, you know. And then I'm trying to figure out why the whistle's blowing. Then I said, boy, oh, boy, I said, uh, Notre Dame's got a penalty for something. And then they said, no, the Gophers got a penalty. I said, had to be away from the play. I didn't see anything. And then he called that. I was livid. I couldn't believe what I what I was watching. It just, you know, it, it you know, it's a tragic, tragic thing about it. The officials, first of all, the game was well officiated. You know, they were letting them play, and they played, and there was scoring chances weren't taken away, they weren't called, and stuff like that. And then you stop and think you got nine seniors on that team. Who knows how many they got in, in Notre Dame? But nine seniors. You can't come back and win the cup again the next year for those seniors. They're gone. Mm-hmm. They're gone. And to make a call like that, which was horrendous in my mind, it was horrendous. I, I, I literally I don't know how you can make the call. I really don't. And, and to make a call that cost those kids the opportunity to play for a title is just, you know, it's just to me it's absurd. The and. You went back and watched it, at least I did, about three times to say, okay, did and the kid did take a little bit of a dive, which still does not excuse the penalty being called, but that was as innocuous a play as you'll find, too. Like, there was That's nothing even, yeah, nothing close. Away, the so. kid was sort of stumbling, but they should have called him for diving, and then you just got four and four and played the game, whatever, you know? Yep. But but to, to do that, and, and the worst part about it now, when you stop to think about it, had the... Gophers won that game. Penn State upset Ohio State. The Gophers would have had old mice to get to the NCAA Finals. Yep, you're exactly right. All right, sir. Thanks okay. much. Great stuff again, Lou. Thanks. Nice talking to you. You too. Bye-bye. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.